right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Happy Thursday to you. Yeah, I am Derek Johnson. He is Nicholas Springer. Hey. And we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, we are going to be joined by Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, at 340. we got Ted Owens, former KU basketball coach. They're going to be honoring the 1974 Final Four team, 50th year anniversary at the KU-TCU game on Saturday. So we're going to talk to Ted Owens coming up at 5.05. If you want to go to the KU-TCU game, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets coming up at the end of the 4 o'clock hour. So you're not going to want to miss that. We're going to be doing the giveaway live on air. We're going to ask you to call in, and uh, we'll pick a caller number and have that person win some KUTCU tickets to so stick around for that later in the show. Also, KU mailbag, RCST mailbag, whatever you want to call it, later today at 4.05. Get in any last-minute questions at RCST1320 on Twitter or X. Uh, you can DM us. You can reply to us. Whatever way you can get us the message. If you want to send a uh, ship in a bottle, uh, we don't have water around us, but, you know, if it finds its way here, finds yeah, its way Yeah, how are you going to send a message in a bottle? I don't know. Um, you can also email us, rcst1320am at gmail.com. So the transfer portal has officially closed for college football, at least for this mm. juncture and this juncture uh, of things. This round before. Yeah, of right? Like, the transfer portal. It'll reopen again at the end of spring, I guess, right? Like, uh, there is no stop to the transfer portal, basically. And the annoying part about the, like, I'm all for player freedom and movement, especially with coaches having that ability to. But where coaches have actual contracts where if they do leave somewhere, they have to maybe pay a buyout or something. I do think it's a little much that you can just transfer as many times. Like, theoretically, now with the rule being that you can multiple transfer and not have to sit out or anything, like, I'm all for your first transfer, you know, no sit out. That, that's totally cool with me. Think about it. Theoretically, couldn't a kid transfer 12 times? Transfers once maybe at the end of the season. Transfers once after spring ball. Transfers once at the beginning of fall camp to another. See, right? you're, just you know what I mean? to, you're just starting to hurt my brain with that. Like, I'm just saying. Like, and also, I mean, it's annoying listen, because in my head, I'm just like for, nothing is certain anymore. You can play for all these different colleges, but also you're supposed to be going to school. You're supposed to don't, transfer twelve uh, times. What did Cardell Jones say? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I play come, school. I didn't come here to play school. That's kind of what this has become. Anyway, um, I want to do a recap of what has happened so far in the portal window for KU, and clearly, KU would love for more to happen because they you know, possibly have some openings and opportunities to bring in some more good players. So who's in, who's out? Let's get you a full recap and and maybe what they still kind of need. Uh, Let's start right here. I'm going to be mentioning some grades of players and what they were graded on 24-7 Sports, who gives grades out to the players transferring so that it is different from just, oh, this guy was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, but now he's not playing well. There is a difference there, or a guy who maybe was a two or three star coming out of high school and now is playing super well and, and deserves to be ranked higher. So yeah. they have their transfer grades. Uh, basically, these are the ones to note: a 
basically a 79 or below is is like maybe you should be at like a group of five school. Basically a 90 or above is, you know, you should be an NFL draft pick and obviously you're probably going to be a very good player. Sure. Uh, the 80 to 89 range is where things mostly lie and where things have their kind of determining factors. So an 87 to 89 is considered a player with significant NFL upside um, who you expect to be an impact college football player. A 84 to 86 is a player you would consider to be a capable starter at the Power 5 level or an impact player at the Group of 5 level. And a 80 to 83 is a player that's considered to be a potential contributor at a Power 5 program. It's more of a rotational player, a backup, or depth, but a potential Group of 5 starter. So here's who's out so far for KU. Spencer Lavelle, he was given an 81 grade as one of the backup guards. So in a vacuum, that one not as big. Uh, guard slash tackle, he is listed as a tackle in the portal, which I find interesting. Armaj Reed Adams, who was an 84, so again, capable starter of a Power 5 team. Defensive tackle, Gage Keys, he was given an 87 grade. I found that to be kind of uh, interesting there. Tanaka Scott was given an 82. This one is, I would not have thought this guy would be the highest graded in there. Will Huggins at an 86. Yeah. And then Reese Thomas... Did not get a grade. He transferred to, uh, he actually picked his school. Keys picked Auburn. Thomas picked Lindenwood, who Kansas is going to be playing in the first game of the season. So, yeah, which Thomas was a, was he, he was a preferred, preferred walk-on? Walk yeah. yeah, preferred walk-on. But he's going to have revenge on his mind in the mm. first week of the season. Wow. Anyway, so what Lindenwood. sticks out to you the most about what Kansas has lost so far in the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, we've touched on it. You know, when you look at the, I mean, you can take the grades into account as well with this, but when you consider what KU lost in terms of guys that were productive players for Kansas, you're talking about two players, Amaz Reed Adams and Gage Keys. Gage Keys was a rotational guy, but he was playing upwards of 25, 30 snaps a game towards the end of the season. He projected to be a starter next and, year because you yeah, lose Devin Phillips. and was probably going to be your starter next season. Correct. And then Amaz Reed Adams kind of in the same boat, right? He was a guy who started for you and was part of that sort of six lineman rotation, I guess, whatever you want to call it, for, for KU on the offensive line. Was versatile, started some games at tackle, uh, and, and was in a big guy and a guy that you – would expect was going to be one of your top five offensive linemen coming back for next season. Uh, so those are the two the two most notable ones, and obviously that, that kind of reflects in the grades, right? Uh, Gage Keys graded as an 87. I think you look at Gage Keys, he certainly has the NFL body type, right? Big, tall, long type player. Uh, it's just a matter of can he can he you know progress beyond that with technique and whatnot. Uh, and and so that was a disappointing loss because you know. Everyone wants to focus on edge, edge rushers as kind of the premium position, but really the whole D-line, right? I mean, if you want to have quality across your whole D-line because if you you know, if you know have two great edge rushers on either end but you can't stop anything in the middle on the ground, teams can just run at you, and that completely mitigates, you know, one of your strengths if, you, if you're focusing on a pass rush. So, you know, that was an unfortunate loss. And then, you know, the Spencer Lavelle loss – became slightly more significant because of the fact that it came after Amash Reed Adams had entered the portal as well because Lavelle, again, reflected by his 81 grade, is a guy that seems like he could have been at least, at the very least, a contributor, right? Maybe not a, an impact player or a player that you would expect to be one of your best offensive linemen, but a guy that could have been a contributor. Uh, and then, so I think his loss is kind of amplified by the fact that you lost Reed Adams as well. You know, to, when you look at Tanaka Scott, at the end of the day, I think Tanaka Scott probably made the right decision for himself personally, right? When you look at the fact that Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold both announced to come back, plus Quentin Skinner, plus a guy like a Doug Emelian, plus Trevor Wilson, I mean, that's a very, very crowded wide receiver room with some really, really talented players. 
Uh, so I think tonight Scott may have made the best decision for himself personally, right, to, to go ahead and, and, and make a move to see if he could have an opportunity to get on the field more elsewhere. So, uh, for, you know, I think that's kind of a that's kind of a situation where KU is pretty fine, I think. And also, you know, you wish the best for Tanaka Scott. The Will Huggins one is fascinating, to your point. I mean, an 86th grade for a guy who couldn't even get on the field. But obviously, you look at KU's tight end room over the past couple of years, and they've had some really, really quality players with Mason Fairchild and Jared Casey. And then plus, you've got some talented young guys coming in the fold, right? You've got Jaden Ham, who's kind of waiting. you got another tight end with Carson Bruin in this upcoming 2024 class as well. Seem like maybe the opportunities were going to be few and far between for for Will Huggins as well. So you kind of get that. Uh, I'll be curious to see where he ends up it's based on his grade, right? I mean, I wonder how many schools will look at his grade and say, wait a second, maybe there's something here with this guy. But all in all, I think you have to be pretty pleased with how KU came out of the transfer portal because we've touched on it, right? The transfer portal is basically open season. Yeah. And it sounded like there were other players on KU's roster that other schools were trying to, you know, increase their money or increase their NIL valuation and get them to, to, to enter the portal. And KU remained committed to, to making sure that they kept the guys they had and did a great job of that. And that's reflected in the fact that Kansas had six guys leave, leave via the transfer portal. That's the lowest in the Big 12. Right? A couple schools had seven, but a lot of the schools were at least double digits. Kansas had six. Uh, so clearly retention was a big priority for KU and for the staff. And that's reflected in the fact that you lose six guys – and two of them really were only were only two of them were really guys that you feel like were going to be significant players on your 2024 roster. So all in all, I think that's almost best case for KU in terms of how things shook out because now they can go be, go and be aggressive and try to fill fill the void from those six guys and look for 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 new players. So I don't I don't I'm, I mean if you're Lance Leipold, you got to be kicking your feet up at your desk thinking, man, this is great. You know we've got a lot of we've got kids that are clearly committed to this program. That want to stick around and want to continue to build what KU is 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 you know building towards, which is at this point, Big Twelve title aspirations and beyond, right? With the with the playoff expanding as well, plus the new stadium. So, I think you've got to feel really good if you're this KU staff at the moment. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, you, you look at the numbers of what other teams have lost across the conference. Everybody's gonna lose players. That's just how it is in the transfer portal. You kind of you almost start an off season and be like, well, we're going to lose probably at least five players in the transfer portal. Yeah, can you mitigate from there? And and I think Kansas did, you know, mitigate as much as possible. You're right on the keys loss in terms of, you know, that is a guy with NFL possible potential based on the body. When you look at it from a standpoint of, can you replace what Gage Keys gave you this season? I think that is doable for KU. I thought he was a a solid level player, but not one that was irreplaceable. Where it becomes the challenge is, but will you be able to replace what Gage Keys might have given you this year? Because Gage Keys did that in his first year in the program, and you know he could take another jump this next year. And the same thing for Armaj Reed Adams. Like Armaj Reed Adams, eighty-four grade. You look at the Pro Football Focus grades for both Keys and Adams, both in the sixties. Which uh, again, that correlates to being kind of an average level starter. Uh, both of those would say, okay. You should be able to find an average level starter in the portal. I think you can do that. But now you have a player coming into a new system. Now, instead of having, you know, where Reed Adams and Keys, the talk would be, can they take a jump up from being that to being even better? It's can you just get someone to replace what they are? So that's kind of what that becomes. You're right. You you definitely need to add more offensive line depth. And I think the Keys one hurts more, especially because of the Devin Phillips graduation. I think Phillips was maybe one of the more underrated players on KU football this year. A really unheralded guy. Right, for sure. But filled a vital role. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you looked at it next year and you're like, okay, you know, you have Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers working into another year at the fold. It would have been nice to have Gage Keys back and you just fill him in as a starter. Now you kind of view that way with probably Withers and, and Dunn, but we'll see what they do in the portal. You still have Keenan Caldwell, Caleb Taylor that, that are kind of coming into their own too. So um, that one certainly hurts. Now, as far as who's in so far in the transfer portal, the first pickup they got was Deshaun Hanica, and he was given an 89 transfer grade on 24-7 sports. So that is the highest they've either gained or lost. I guess if you just look at it as, okay, uh, like if, if you look at this as like a trade almost, I guess, like you traded Gage Keys for Deshaun Hanica. I, I think in theory, like you need the defensive tackle more than you need the tight end here. But if you're going by the 24-7 sports grade, you got the better player, you know, sure. an 89 grade. Out of reference uh, for last year, Logan Brown was a 90. That obviously didn't work out. He didn't end up hitting the field and had the injury yeah, and stuff. Injuries, yeah. But the potential is obviously still there, even this next year. Dylan Brooks is an 89. I think that's more about potential than what he is right now. Yeah. Which that actually is kind of exciting for what maybe he could be with another year or two under his belt. Sure. Uh, J.B. Brown, my guy, was an 88. Your boy. Austin Booker was an 86. Devin Phillips was an 86. So Deshaun Hanica is ahead of J.B. Brown. He's ahead of Austin Booker. He's ahead of Devin Phillips, right? That doesn't guarantee. I, I don't think anybody knew Austin Booker was going to turn into this, yeah. um, at least right away. And, you know, it doesn't guarantee that Hanica is better than than all those guys. But that shows you that he is thought of very highly. So that's a really nice pickup for KU. The yeah. more I think about it, I, I, I'm expecting him to be like the go-to tight end. You know, maybe, maybe in blocking situations it is more Cardell. Tavita Noah, Jared Casey will still be kind of the H-back yeah, I mean, role. Yeah. I think Hanukkah will be the primary like receiving tight end for sure. Yeah, I mean, it'll just come down to what kind of roles they carve out. Because, I mean, to your point, Jared Casey, his role is solidified. His role is going to be the same. It is going to be go out there and just be meaner, be nastier, go block guys. And then on third and 12, when everybody's not even paying attention to you, get open for a big play you know, or, or drop different plays, right? Same thing with Tavita Noah as more of a blocking guy. I think the question with Hanukkah becomes how much of a leap does Trevor Cardell make in trying to fill that Mason Fairchild role? And if he's not able to maybe fill it completely, is is the what's left over, does that become Hanukkah to your point? Does he become that receiving that more of that receiving threat? So well, I don't know. We'll see we'll see how it shakes out. I think there's definitely room for him to take some of that role versus and you know, for or for Cardell to take the role. And obviously this coaching staff loves competition, so I'm sure they're happy about it. Sure. Uh, then if you viewed it as, okay, uh, you, your second highest graded player that you lost is Will Huggins with an 86. Well, you brought in an 86 with Devin Dye. So, again, that would be kind of a fair trade off there. And uh, I, I guess if we wanted to view this more as like position to position. You could say you traded off Will Huggins for Deshaun Hanukkah, and he's up three in the grade yeah, there. Yeah. Devin Dye, I guess the closest. I mean, you didn't lose a DB at this point. So, uh, I guess the closest you could say is you brought in Devin Dye and, and you lost... I don't know, Armaj Reed Adams, like two starter-level players, I guess. Could be, yeah. And he has a higher grade. 86 transfer grade. He comes in at the safety spot. Now, I'd expect Marvin Grant and O.J. Burroughs to be the two starting safeties, but we know KU basically starts and plays a ton of snaps with three safeties because yeah. Kenny Logan, O.J. Burroughs, and Marvin Grant were all playing a ton of snaps. So that means who's going to be the third safety? I think 
Uh, obviously, Taylor Davis was was a young freshman. He sounded uh, really impressed. I think Mason Ellis, former Kansas kid, he's we've seen him on special teams. He started to work his way in there. But I think for the most part, that third safety spot probably comes down to Jalen Dye versus Devin Dye, which is kind of cool that you have two brothers competing for it. And then in another year, both those guys could be starters when you know Burroughs and, and Grant are gone. But yeah. that's a nice pickup for the back end, one that necessarily you didn't totally need, but when a good player wants to come, you, you make it work. Sure, absolutely. And then you look at kind of what else KU might be needing here. I think you and I both agree offensive line should become a priority for yep. Kansas at this point. One, uh, two, even three. Yeah, I mean, uh, you've lost a lot of depth now in the middle with Armage Reed Adams and Spencer Lavello both being both exiting uh, the, the program. Uh, beyond that, I think probably if you're Kansas, they're still looking for more on the D-line, you would think. You have Dylan uh, Woodkey from Youngstown State, which, by the way, I need to order my Youngstown State shirt. I said I would. You did. I, I said I would. I said you if did. if if Youngstown if a guy from Youngstown State comes to Kansas, I would get Youngstown State. I got to do it now. And by the way, so. he got an 84 grade on the uh, transfer portal there. Yeah, so I think definitely your top two priorities if you're Kansas are in the trenches, right? And that that should make sense because you could use a D tackle and a defensive end. Yeah, yeah, and that should and you know that that should make sense because look at what KU is bringing back in totality. They're bringing back all their skill position players on the outsides on offense with their receivers with Devin Neal and Jalen Daniels. And on defense, same deal. You brought back both your top two corners with Kobe Bryant and Milo Dotson and your top two, and well, I guess two of your top three safeties uh, with Kenny Logan departing, but you, as, you, as you alluded to, O.J. Burroughs and, and Marvin Grant. And then your linebacking core, you did lose off that, but you feel pretty good about what you've got. So this really comes down to, for Kansas, going after the offensive line and the defensive line, really, uh, as the two areas that they need the most in. And I've I've continued to say this throughout the, the you know the last year basically of of with in regards to the transfer portal. One of the things that has impressed me so much about Lance Leipold and the staff is that when they have identified a need, when they have identified an area where they feel like they could get better, they have attacked it very very aggressively. And I think I have I see no reason to believe why that wouldn't continue again with with what they need come in this current cycle of the transfer portal. Right? You go back to last season. Special teams was a disaster. They go out. How many kickers? Did, they got two kickers. Uh, the Weinrich, the kid from Nebraska, plus Keller. Yep. And then they go out and they bring in Damon Greaves as well. And then you look at the D line from last season. They they needed to, they wanted to beef up their D line, especially with Lonnie Phelps left. They brought in Patrick Joyner, Devin Phillips, Austin Booker, Gage Key. I mean, they really really went out and hit that area hard. So I have full confidence that they are going to be assessing and I probably already have been doing this, but assessing their needs. And then going out and attacking those needs very aggressively. Yes. And, yeah, those those are the ones. I, I think at this point you look to offensive line, defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker. Those are the ones uh, they could certainly use uh, more players of. And you take as much talent that you can bring in with uh, kind of any of those spots. So we'll keep an eye on, on any players that might make sense. We'll go into the transfer portal later on in the show. We're listening to, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will join us in about 20 minutes. Coming up next, though, Austin Booker has officially declared for the NFL draft. We'll discuss that on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. We have Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, is going to hop off on with us in less than 15 minutes. Uh, coming up here on the show, we got our RCST KU mailbag coming up at the top of the four o'clock hour. If any questions about KU football, KU basketball, KU recruiting, other sports, I don't know, dating advice for Nick, whatever it is, true, 
Yeah. No, people always come to me and they say, wow, you give the best, you give there the you best go. dating advice. Uh, so you can like, hit us up. If, if I ever have any relationship problems, I always know that I can come to you mm-hmm. and you're going to give the best advice. There we and go. And I say, what can I say? Well, you can uh, reply to us, DM us, whatever, at RCST1320, or you can hit us up on our email, RCST1320AM. You know, I do gmail. think about, do you remember that one guy last year? Uh, it was like his, it was like Valentine's Day and yeah. KU Basketball was playing this a game. A bell. And the guy sent us a question and was like, what do I do? Do I do I watch the game or do I take my girlfriend out for Valentine's Day? I wonder what happened to that guy. I'm trying to remember the full story there because it was, it was, it wasn't that simple. It was no, something I know. like was something the girlfriend else. was like, I don't want you to watch KU yeah, Basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, she didn't like KU Basketball. There was something, yeah, there was more to the story. But I there just was. wonder what, what happened with, with that, with that, uh, with that guy. Reach out. Give us a check. <laughs> What's going on there? Are you still? Anyway. Um, Hopefully he's still a loyal listener. So we'll do that at 405, and then Ted Owens is going to hop on with us at 505 to talk the 50th year anniversary of the 74 Final Four team. News from today as Austin Booker has announced he is going to the NFL draft. Here's what he posted to his Instagram. First, I want to thank who I do it for, the all-knowing, for all of the blessings and the path that he has guided me on. I also want to thank Coach Moore and the Center Grove football staff for believing me and preparing me be, preparing me to be great. Lastly, I want to thank Coach Panagos for the opportunity, Coach Leipold for believing in me, and everyone that supported me at the University of Kansas. It felt like family, and I will forever be grateful for the platform to showcase my skills. With that being said, I'm blessed to announce that I will be declaring for the 2024 NFL Draft. So he's off to the NFL. Obviously, this felt like a... Felt like a foregone conclusion. Foregone conclusion. I mean, That's a good way to put it. You know, you you don't make the trip with the team right. to the bowl, game, the bowl game. Didn't play, obviously. And uh, so I think at that point, it became pretty clear it was either going to be the NFL or, you know, maybe possibly transferring, but... But, uh, yeah, a situation where I think now, if you're KU, you wish them all the best, right? Because if you have more players that come through your program that go on to have success at the next level, that's that's great for you on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. You can say, hey, listen, we brought, a, we brought a guy in who wasn't even playing at his previous university. He comes to us. We develop him. He turned into, you know, an all-Big 12 player and goes on to the NFL. So, a really cool story. You know, I think for a lot of KU fans, they would have liked to have had Austin Booker come back for another season. And, you know, he could have been – I mean, you could have made a case for him to be preseason Big 12 player of the year, defensively, possibly, uh, next season, based on what he did this season. So it's definitely a big loss for, for Kansas, but it could end up – like I said, it could end up in a weird way being a gain for them maybe if, if, if Booker's able to go on to the NFL and be successful, and then you can kind of use that as a recruiting pitch uh, to players. So wish him the best. Uh, and obviously he had a great season for Kansas, a season that was unexpected and uh, – Really, really happy for him, and, and hopefully he can go on and find some success at the next level. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got such a quick twitch. He was such a good pass rusher. You saw it in the first game. It was just different coming off the line of scrimmage, and, and they don't get to nine wins this year without him. He had an unbelievable year. What a pickup it was. Um, I, I did think that him coming back and maybe you know, adding 10, 15 pounds and having another good year would have really turned him into a knockdown day one or day two NFL draft pick. But I'm not going to blame a kid for, you know, he wants to chase his dreams. And a lot of times athletes who are in this position, it's because they are constantly betting on themselves. And so sure. it's it's hard to tell a kid who's been betting on himself the whole time to be like, no, don't bet on yourself. So, you know, even if, if he approached the NFL draft prospect and they told him, hey, maybe go back to school another year, you know, sometimes the kid's going to be like, no, screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong, right? And I do think this is different than the Lonnie Phelps one 
because I think with Lonnie Phelps, he was a bit undersized. Now, uh, Booker's a little undersized, like weight-wise. Um, you know, he'll, yeah, he'll got, try to add weight. He's got him. NFL size. But he's got right. NFL length. He's got NFL frame. He's got yeah. NFL height. Yeah. To where I don't think – I also think Austin Booker's better than Lonnie Phelps. To where I, I, with Lonnie Phelps, obviously, we saw what happened, that the floor was if you don't have a great whatever combine, senior day, whatever, you end up going undrafted. I think with Booker, the floor is probably you'd still be a day three draft pick. I still think of Austin Booker like balls out in some of the workouts. He could still be like a third round draft pick or something. That yeah. wouldn't totally shock me. Uh, you get a team who's like, look at this kid. We can try to add 10, 15 pounds to him. Let him basically have a uh, Felix Enudike Uzama year like the Chiefs are having where he just basically hasn't played sure. and just kind of develop him for a year and turn him into something. So I wish him well. And like you said, if he does go off to the NFL and have a great career, like that is good for KU. And at the very least, it has to be a positive for KU in recruiting as they're you know, trying to bring in other defensive ends to yeah. be able to go out there and be like, hey, look, we brought this guy in who wasn't even playing at Minnesota, exactly. and we turned him into an NFL draft prospect. So that's pretty cool. So yeah. uh, wish him the best, and obviously he had a fantastic season for KU uh, this year, and now KU will have to replace him. And uh, back to the well of what they've done so well, actually, <laughs> every year under Lance Leipold. You'd hope eventually you don't have to keep doing it, but you go back to 2021. Yeah. Kyron Johnson leads the team in sacks, had an excellent year, ends up being a sixth-round draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was out of eligibility, so he had to go. Then he goes, um, and that was after they moved him positions, too. Then you have Lonnie Phelps come in. You bring in from Miami of Ohio. He obviously has a great year. Goes pro earlier than you would have thought. Imagine that, by the way. If you would have had Lonnie Phelps this year <laughs> Lonnie with Phelps Austin Booker. Across from Austin Booker. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they they would have won 11 games. That I, I been, feel good about that. That would have been something. Anyway, uh, so that would have been cool. Uh, but anyway, now Austin Booker goes and, and kind of the same thing, um, where now you're stuck trying to replace your best pass rusher. Can Jeremy Robinson take a jump up? Will you find a guy like Austin Booker that you know maybe was a diamond in the rough? Will you find a guy like Kyron Johnson who maybe – uh, has to switch positions. Will you, you know, just find someone like Lonnie Phelps, who was a pristine pass rusher coming in? Whatever the avenue is, KU is going to have to fill that role. But they've they've shown so far that they've been able to do a pretty adequate job at, at that so far. Yeah, and 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 real quick to to your point on that, you mentioned how maybe KU, hopefully they don't have to do this anymore. Well, guess what? You look at some of the you look at the twenty twenty four recruiting class from the high school level. You feel like there's going to be a couple years coming up where you're going to have your best pass rusher solidified with guys like Deshaun Warner, Dak Brinkley, players like that. So uh, that time is coming, I think. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, will hop on with us on the other side. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th and Black Bob in Alefa. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, coming up here on RCST. Don't forget you can hit us up with any last-second questions on our RCST KU mailbag, uh, hitting us up at RCST1320 on Twitter. You can reply to one of the tweets about the mailbag. You can just tweet at us. You can DM us, whatever. 
you need to get the question across. You can ask about KU football, KU basketball, KU recruiting, other sports, life advice, food. I don't know, whatever you want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite food, Derek? What's my favorite? Early mailbag question. Favorite food. Wow. You know, this is a very common question that I feel like I should have a preset answer to. No, know? I mean, listen, uh, your favorite food can change, right? Of course you it know, can. You know, sometimes you're craving, you're craving something. When I was a kid, you know. it was always ribs. Ribs? Ribs was always the go-to. Mm. Um, Dude, when I was a kid, I would eat, like, spaghetti. It was, it was weird. I, I was weird as a kid. I ate spaghetti. Spaghetti, no sauce. That's shredded spaghetti. Though. Shredded cheese. That's just mac and cheese. No, 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 no. But not mac and cheese. Like spaghetti, like like the noodles. I understand. With shredded cheese on top and nothing else. Yeah, that's that's just uh, deconstructed <laughs> mac and cheese, basically. <laughs> but it's different. But it's not macaroni. Well, it's, it's not just spaghetti. spaghetti. Well, that's what the type of noodle I used. I guess. I was weird, man. I ate weird stuff when I was a kid. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Uh, you don't have to say that twice. No, um. <laughs> You can also hit us up with questions, rcst1320am at gmail.com. We're going to have Ted Owens hop on the show at 5.05. He's going to talk some KU basketball with us, and uh, they're going to be honoring the 1974 Final Four team at the KU-TCU game, their 50th anniversary for that. That was one of two of his Final Four teams. So talk a little bit about that. I also want to talk about some of the JoJo White stuff with him because he was the head coach for that team with uh, KU back in the, whatever, 66-67 Elite Eight game against UTEP at that point. Uh, we also are going to be doing a KU basketball ticket giveaway coming up at about 445, 450, somewhere in that range. So make sure you're stick to re- or sticking around and, and listen for that ticket giveaway. We have a pair of those tickets for that KU-TCU game, which is going to be at 1 o'clock on Saturday. All we're going to do is we're going to do a phone giveaway. So be ready uh, at the end of the 4 o'clock hour, and we'll open up the phone lines and get things ready for a KUTCU ticket giveaway. All right, we're joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney in studio here. Um, You were on the call, Wichita State game, obviously, and I thought for my money it was Marco Jackson's best game of the season. There was that that stretch where he had the transition play where it was kind of a no, 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 yes, where he kind of goes into traffic. Then he has the dunk, he hits the three, hits another three later, he has the one shot where he looked super aggressive and, and just kind of pulled up just inside the free throw line. And I, I know we just had a, a similar conversation, uh, at least we were on the show uh, about a week ago with the Yale game and what that meant for Nick Timberlake, and then that didn't carry over to the next game. So who knows if, if this carries over for El Marco Jackson, but... I don't know. I I just that felt different to me, and I I am wondering if we're going to see a different Omarco Jackson here in the second half of the season, and, and how valuable that would be for KU. Yeah, no, I, that was my big takeaway too. His seven zero personal run ignites a thirty seven thirteen team run and takes a game that probably resembled the rock fight that Bill Self likes to quote from time to time. It was mucked up at you know fourteen all. 12 minutes into the game, it's still 14-all with eight minutes left in the first half, and then all of a sudden we're off to the races. And it's because El Marco was doing what he does best, Mm -hmm. pushing tempo, turning defense into offense, being an aggressor. It goes back to some of those early season conversations Self had with him about it's okay to make a mistake so long as you make it going fast. And as you get into January, the conversation changes because you don't want him to make as many mistakes now as a three-month-in, one-semester-in type guy. But 
he was forcing tempo, bringing that extra gear that he has and very few others do. And that, to me, just makes this Kansas team so much more dynamic. Like you, I was really hoping the Nick Timberlake-Yale game would be replicated by another game right after it. For what it's worth, Coach Self said that his week of practice that followed Yale was really, really good, and he saw tangible confidence uh, you know, sticking with Nick, even coming back from the holiday break. Now, obviously, you got to keep stringing them together in live game action for that to truly stick and stay. But uh, to have El Marco perform like that, you get Johnny Furphy hopefully uh, starting to scratch his potential a little bit more the deeper we get into January. This becomes a much more dynamic Kansas team. We know what we have with the core four, and that team is good enough to take you all the way to Phoenix. But to cut down nets on a Monday night in April, you do need more consistency out of that fifth spot. And El Marco brings us the closest thing to what we thought this team would be, which going back five months ago, we thought this was going to be the fastest team we've seen since 08, the most explosive team since 08. And you lose one of those pieces, obviously, in the preseason. It's taken El Marco some seasoning to get there, but it's nice to see the surface of his potential start to get scratched. Well, now Big 12 play starts up TCU on Saturday at 1 o'clock, and, and the conference is is absolutely bonkers. We, we've we looked over that, that back half of the schedule. I don't know if you've got a chance to look at from February on. It is pretty brutal, to say the least, enough so that we've kind of said, like, you might have to go 7-1 and one or 8-0 and oh in the first eight games to win the Big 12. I don't know what the number is going to be this year. You know, 13, is it going to be 14? But... Because uh, there's a real chance you could go five and five or six and four in the last ten games with how hard it is, and that'd actually be okay during that stretch of basketball. But um, when you look at the Big Twelve right now, what what stands out to you the most about just this incredibly difficult league this year? Well, clearly Oklahoma and BYU going from picked at the bottom of the league to now top twelve nationally. Those are the two best stories. Is it sustainable? I don't know. You know, we, we sit here now on January the 4th and talk about having to start 7-1 and because mm-hmm. February looks so brutal. Those teams in February might look different than, than they do right now. The league perception may take on a completely different shape yeah, it as it starts to kind of cannibalize itself. But we know Houston's going to be good. We know Baylor will be a force. I'm curious to see the staying power of BYU and Oklahoma. That doesn't mean I'm a doubter at all. Heck, we got to face Oklahoma in seven days. I don't want to put that out there. But my point is I, I want to see it maintained over the course of league play when night in, night out, you're going up against teams as good or better than you. And that'll be the true test. But I do think this. I, I think the the strong start by the Big 12 is more legit this season than maybe it felt some previous years in part because I think the scheduling has been more ambitious. It used to just be Kansas and maybe one or two others had a handful of marquee non-con games. I thought our league did a better job across the board in playing some more legit competition. So uh, my take on it is it's, it's everything we thought it would be, but even more when you add in the fact that two of the projected lowest teams have risen the highest. Now let's just see if they can stay there. I know Bill Self was just talking a little bit ago at, at the media veil about the incredible run they've had winning these Big 12 titles, winning you know 17 out of 20 years and winning the 14th straight that they had and, and how incredible that has kind of been. Do you think that, I guess, two things. One, that stuff is going to matter as much and two, that we will even see teams win, I don't know, four or five in a row in, in any of these power conferences moving forward, just from a standpoint of you're adding all these teams to all these different conferences, conference realignment. Now you have all these extra really good schools. So there's 
increased chance that one of them has a really special season that it's tough to beat. And two beyond that, to me, the biggest thing here is the incongruent scheduling where yep. it's no longer you play everybody and everybody has the same schedule and you play everybody twice. You know, hypothetically, Kansas could have a year where they have to play. I don't know. The, I mean, we saw this in football, right? Like in football, Kansas had to play of the top eight teams in the Big 12. They played, I guess, outside of themselves. They played six of the seven. Mm-hmm. West Virginia, I think, played one mm-hmm. of the seven, something like that. Do, do you think it's going to matter as much? Or is it all just at this point more about, like, like I guess, would a, would a year where Kansas goes 12-6 and six in the Big 12, but that 12-6, and six, given their schedule, gets them a one seed, be better than a year where a team goes 14-4 and four because they only played, you know, uh, the top five teams a collective three times or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. A lot to unpack in that question. And I'll start with what Bill said about, the 17 out of 20 and he said his his late father uh bill self senior had talked about man of all the things you've done that's probably most impressive because a conference title is won over the course of two and a half months something you do in the tournament is done in one weekend mm-hmm. a- and uh he, he really thinks that consistency and that dominance in a league as good as the Big 12 that in those years produced Kevin Durant and Michael Beasley and Buddy Heald and all these big-time stars uh, in many years was the RPI number one ranked conference, and yet they still kept winning. No matter what the rest of the league came at them with, they still kept winning. No matter how many faces came and went and you had to redo it the next year with guys in completely different roles, they still kept winning. It's so impressive. To your point, though, will it matter as much or be looked upon the same? I think it's a whole different ballgame in these mega conferences that we're shifting toward now, not just because of the incongruent schedule, which, by the way, great word, man. That's like a $10 power word my (laughs) high school English teacher would say. But uh, it's not going to matter as much in some of these 20-team conferences that we're on the brink of of having because – you hope you play everybody in a given year, but some years you might not. And I don't think the conference significance becomes even close to what it once was in some of these other leagues, not yeah. the Big 12. We're not to that point yet. But in the Big 12, it was perfect. For 11 years when you had the double round robin, you got the true home and home. Everybody had even scheduling. The only thing imbalanced was if you caught a team at the right time because right. somebody got hurt and then missed four weeks and, and you got to play them twice in those four weeks or whatever because that was the way the schedule shook out. Otherwise, there was always a home and home. There was always a chance at, at revenge or a rematch game. You don't get that anymore. And now you're going to have years where as soon as the schedule comes out, guys like Derek and Nick are circling, oh man, KU has to play Houston twice. Yeah. K-State only gets to play so-and-so. <laughs> right. You know, You're going to be having those conversations because you do have that imbalance and it does take a little bit of something away from it i think especially in the mega conferences the conference titles where you didn't play everybody in a given year don't mean nearly as much so to your point um bill already said it's never going to be done again and i agree and i hadn't thought about it the way you phrased it will it matter as much when it does it probably won't well like Um, i i think back there was a year a couple years ago it was in the big 10 where i want to say like wisconsin shared the league title with, I don't know, maybe Purdue or Indiana, one of those schools. And Wisconsin just, like, didn't have to play. Yeah. They, they played one of those, like, once, and it was at home. Yeah. And then the other two had to play, like, everybody else at the top. And it just, I don't know, like, it, it almost, to me, becomes more about the conference, especially with how good it is and how deep it is and how there aren't as many, you know, historical matchups now and, and won't be once you add Arizona and Utah as, as good as those programs are. It almost just becomes more about, to me, 
just adding to a good season, adding to your resume, adding to your NCAA tournament. So there is a little bit of, hey, if you win the conference, you probably get a good seed because the conference is so good. So from that standpoint, it still matters. But yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't know from, you know, whether it's bragging rights or uh, just, again, the the differences in schedule that you could go 14 and four one year and another team goes 15 and three because they just happen to get the right schedule. It, it just, it, it feels so different than, it has been for the last really decade, ever ever since you added West Virginia and TCU. I agree. And we've always prioritized the conference title, maybe more so than other schools, mm-hmm. because we win so many. And, and 63 is a record, and we had to give one back. It was 64. Yeah. you know. And so we, we take pride in that. I love to be able to, to show my friends at other schools that we've won so many league titles. We load them high and tight <laughs> with nine years per banner, mm-hmm. okay? We don't hang a banner for one individual conference title. We hang a banner for a decade right. of winning conference titles. That's how frequent it happens at Kansas. And and we love that. I talk to my friends that are announcers at places like Kentucky and Carolina, other places, they don't hold it in as high of regard. But I think part of that is they don't win them as frequently. Um, but but we've had that here. I do think the luster starts to go away, though. The bigger the leagues get and the, the lack of the same rivalries, the lack of the one true champion, as we used mm-hmm. to, to pound our chests about with the Big 12 logo. So I think it's an interesting point you raise. But having said that, I love it that we're picked to win it again this year. I, I love the astounding statistic that we've won 32 consecutive conference openers. And and before you stop and say, yeah, but how many of those were at Allen Fieldhouse? Well, let me tell you, actually only 13 <laughs> yeah. of them were at Allen Crazy. Fieldhouse. 19 were on the road. Wow. And and Nick Springer was like negative seven the last time <laughs> we lost. Yeah. Is that possible to be negative seven? <laughs> Your parents hadn't met yet. And Derek, you weren't yeah. alive either. Yeah. The last time we lost the conference opener. That's way more impressive, by yeah. the way way than the home opener streak because you know it's 51 straight or whatever of home openers but many times that's against a lesser team a directional school or it's a buy game where they're collecting a check to me that's as impressive as as just about anything outside of the ncaa tournament streak Mm -hmm. which now technically i'm supposed to tell Mm -hmm. you we no longer have but uh you know we had to give back 2018 but uh i'm still calling it 14 straight i you know Oh yeah. And, yeah, and and I was talking about the the yeah, I, I know, making I know, the but I know but that's part of it. Too. I agree. Yeah. yeah, and I agree on that as well. So, uh, but to me, think about that, guys. If you win Saturday, thirty three straight years, and the majority of those have been on the road, and you know, we'd have to go back and look at how many of those teams were tournament teams and all that stuff. But man, Big Eight, Big Twelve, as good as those leagues have been, and Kansas with Roy Williams and Bill Self have won thirty two in a row league openers. Wow. Uh, before we let you go, uh, and uh, the TCU game is on Saturday. We don't have a ton of time here, but quick thoughts on uh, keys to the game or, or KU, how they come out on top after last year the Horn Frogs came in and uh, put kind of a beat down on KU. Yeah, 23-point win. Believe me, Self brought it up more than a half dozen times already <laughs> to the guys this week. He's motivating them tremendously. A lot of similar faces, but at the same time, you know, three different starters, uh, guys playing bigger roles that were on the team a year ago in some cases. But Emmanuel Miller and Micah Peavy are the two straws that stir the drink. Obviously excited to see Ernest. Um, real quickly, I mean, there's there's zero bad blood or hard feelings there. This is the era we live in now. He saw that Kansas was going to recruit over him. He thought he could get more NIL opportunity elsewhere, and so he left. But he loved his teammates. He loved his coaches. There was nothing bad in the locker room. It's just kind of... 
it's the live it's the time we live in now. It's it's the era we're a part of in college athletics. But I'm super excited to see him. And prior to the Texas A&M Commerce game, he was only averaging about three points and three rebounds a game. And then he erupts for 13 and 18. So we'll see what version of Ernest we get. But I thought it was interesting. KJ said on Monday's Hawk Talk, uh, he's excited to see him. But I said, you know, we practiced against him for a year. I know his tendencies pretty well. I, I think a lot of these guys, you know, are excited to see what they can do against him, knowing big earns tendencies, but uh, a lot of respect for coach Dixon and his program. They play fast. They're athletic. They get it and go. Bill self said PV with two dribbles off a defensive rebound and initiating the break is as good as he's ever seen. Is that hyperbole? I don't know, but he's pretty impressed. And when that comes from a hall of famer's mouth, I listen. So look for PV who started his career at Texas tech and then transferred to TCU. Look for him to be as big a factor as anybody this side of Emmanuel Miller on Saturday. Yeah, I think they're averaging 21 transition points per game. Well, thanks for coming in uh, again today. Uh, Before we let you go, word from Nate Miller. Yeah, you know, TCU has Emmanuel Miller. We've got Nate Miller on our side. (laughs) I know what I'm taking. And and I love Nate Miller, baby. He's going to help you with the most profitable and secure financial future. He'll sit down and look at your current portfolio of investments or start one up with you if you're just, you know, running to first base in the process, top of the first inning. So check him out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Hear him on the call Saturday at 1 o'clock. One hour down, two to go. Mailbag next on KLWN. Depend on it. This is RCST on KLWN. Four o'clock hour. We're going to have a KU basketball ticket giveaway coming up at the end of the hour. So stick around for that if you want to win a pair of tickets to KU TCU coming up this Saturday. Ted Owens is going to hop on with us at 5.05. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions to us for our RCST KU mailbag. You can hit us up for next week's questions at RCST1320 on Twitter. Tweet at us, reply to us, DM us, or hit us up via email, RCST1320am at gmail.com. If you want to send in a written letter or note, you can do that too. Sure. Yeah, why not? If you want to bump into Nick at the grocery store and slide him a note in his pocket, that works too. Uh, Yeah, you can do that if you want. Yeah. (laughs) you want to show up at Nick's house at 12 p.m., knock on the door (laughs) and read him a note and have him write it down, you can do that too. (laughs) sure okay sure why not oh we have his consent all right first up this is from uh derek ho who is a uh rcst trivia i i was getting hyped for rcst trivia reading uh brian rainey yeah dude dude brian is in mid-season four and we got we're in the middle of the off season i know for sure anyway uh this is from derek this first question is i think specifically pointed to you nick he's got two questions what is yes what is your second favorite segment of rcst because you Mm, always claim that this is i always tout that the uh that the ku mailbag is my favorite segment of the week uh i have a lot of i'll have a lot of segments that i do enjoy the reason i like the mailbag the most is because we do it every week you know there are a lot of fun segments we do that we don't do them necessarily every week uh, but uh, I've really enjoyed the college football coach segment where I'm a coach and you ask me, you know, <laughs> this or that, and I try to get uh, those are really fun. Games. That's a good segment. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the uh, what's going on over there segments that we do. We did what's nagging Nick for a while. Those are fun segments. Uh, so yeah, those are some of my other favorite segments. Uh, and then and then I also honestly I, I like uh, I like our NFL segments because mm-hmm. you're always wrong on your take. So <laughs> okay. So yeah, uh, tons of, I, I like I like there's a lot of segments that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. This one to me, who is your favorite Derek in sports? To mm. myself. 
He said, I eat so Derek I'm Jeter, you Derek Fisher. I'm assuming you can't pick yourself. What, what do you mean? Well, your name's Derek, obviously. Yeah, but I'm not an athlete. But you're in sports. I, I see what you're saying in like a loose way, but no. Um, I was never a huge Derek Jeter guy. In fact, I think overrated. How about wow. that? Wow. Derek Fisher. Um, you know, I lived in L.A., so I heard a lot about Derek Fisher. What about like, uh, but, you know. You know, this, it's always funny because you always, player. in your mind, you're like, man, there's probably so many athletes named Derek. And then yeah. somebody's like, name an athlete named Derek. And you're like, uh. So there's like Derek Johnson for the Chiefs. Yeah, and that's the one I want to go there's, to. I mean, uh, I am a Chiefs fan. Having a, a guy who has the same exact name as you would certainly be up there, right? And it's spelled the same too, right? Or is it spelled different? No, he's a, he's a D-E-R-R-I-C-K. Ah. I guess Derek Henry would be Derek another good Henry. one. But I like Derek Johnson more than Derek Henry. Yeah. Uh, I actually met Derek Johnson once. Did you? Yeah. I told him I had the same name as him. What did he, he say? Took a picture with me. Oh, nice. Cool. That was cool. Yeah. Nice guy. Very nice guy, in fact. Well, there you go. So not only is he your favorite athlete, he's And he one played of your for the Chiefs, people. and he was a really good player. Yep. yep. Boom. Derek Johnson, all the way oh, around. I like that one. And it, it works double since he has my last name, too. <laughs> this one from Darius. More beloved Jayhawk, Jason Bean or David McCormick? Yeah. I mean, if you would have showed this question to somebody like 12 months ago, they would have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody likes Jason Bean. Jason Bean lost us the Liberty Bowl. This guy stinks. This guy's terrible. People even people even would have been fine with him not coming back to the team. And now look how far we have come to now this question. Jason Bean or David McCormick? Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the redemption arc of Jason Bean, the storyline of Jason Bean is fantastic. You know, he goes from a guy who, again, was potentially going to walk away from football, comes back, and then ends up stepping up admirably uh, because of the injury to Jalen Daniels, leading Kansas State wins, getting them the first bowl win in 14 years. Uh, all great, great stuff. But to me, the answer's got to be David McCormick. I mean, David McCormick goes out. He hits one of the game. hits the, the game-winning shot, right, in the national championship, uh, that, that hook shot that they show now. That's yep. now part of the uh, pregame hype video that KU has to win Kansas national championship. Now, I will say, where this conversation, I think, could get interesting is if is if Jason Bean, A, stayed healthy, and let's say he stays healthy, KU beats Texas Tech, and then Jason Bean leads KU to beating Kansas State, and then KU goes to the Big 12 title game and either and, and wins that, right? Mm-hmm. If Jason Bean then becomes the quarterback that steps up with Jalen Daniels out, leads you to, at that point, a 10-win season in the regular season, beats Kansas State for the first time in 15 years, Wins the Big 12 title and then goes on to win whatever bowl game KU's in at that point. Let's say they're in, let's say they get into like the Peach Bowl or whatever and they win that. Is Jason Bean at that point, would you put him above David McCormick at that point? I mean, you beat Kansas State, 10 win season, Big 12 title, you know, New Year's Six Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl win. Still, it's a national championship with Big Dave. No, I know. I know. And it's interesting because both players, there have been a lot of similarities. Had their ups and downs. Yeah, they had a lot of ups and downs. It was the. The ups and downs of like, like it wasn't just ups and downs. It was ups it was and like downs the, where the downs were like the plays. Yeah, where the like downs were like, head, oh right? no, like what are we like doing? You just dropped the ball or like yes. grab the rebound or like yes. why'd you throw it right to the other team? Or shoot Those a were the downs. Twenty foot jump shot. <laughs> yeah, when you exactly. Kind of, yeah, it was it was the the noticeability. Yes, it was that the downs weren't just like oh you missed no, it a was, shot like or said, you turned it over. Literally it was a roller noticeable. It was exactly. careening off the rails. I kind of miss it, honestly. No, in I, no. In, in a weird no. way, it is. It's Very emotionally right? exhilarating. <laughs> I mean, why do you think people ride roller coasters? It makes the highs even better, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, 
See, I don't know. This is really tough. By the way, I'm looking at Dave's uh, Euro stats. So, Cooking. Is he Get in Turkey? Dude in the NBA. No. Is he in Turkey? Yeah, he's in Turkey. Okay. He was the last year in Turkey for Daris Safaka. He averaged 13.7 points, 9.8 rebounds per game. That's pretty good. And in their, you know how they have like the Basketball Champions League, like they have the Champions League in soccer? Uh, Yeah. In those games, he averaged over 12.6 rebounds per game. And right now, he's playing for Galatasaray, which I believe is one of like the best teams in Turkey. Hmm. So far in uh, three games in the Turkish League, he is averaging 21 points, five rebounds, two blocks, two steals per game. Wow. And in their three Champions League Turkish games, he's averaged 15 points, 10 rebounds per game. D- he, he's cooking, dude. <laughs> Big Dave cooking. Big Dave cooking. How about that? That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you'll have to see it, right? I mean, for a guy, again, uh, and I think the big takeaway for me from these these two players is that through all the ups and downs, both of them ended on the, you know, the highest of highs, really, right? Like, national championship for Big Dave, for Jason Bean winning KU's first bowl game in, in 14 years, ending on that note, right? And, and being the, the MVP, the offensive MVP of the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Like, that's what I love about sports is you have two guys who – had their ups and downs, they persevered, and they got to both end their careers as Jayhawks on a high note and really go out as truly revered by the fans. What is your answer? I, I mean, it's got to be Dave McCormick. Yeah. Right? Like like I said, I mean, I think the, the discussion becomes if Jason Bean stays healthy, wins 10 games, beats Kansas State, wins a Big 12 title, wins a New Year's Six Bowl, then I'm thinking, okay, we can have a legitimate conversation about this. But what I think if you don't David even McCormick, go that far? What if you just say Jason Bean was healthy, they beat K-State? Then they're in the Pop-Tarts Bowl, and we get Jason Bean, Jason Bean eating a Pop-Tart. A live, living mascot Pop-Tart. Well, I mean, it was obviously dead when they ate it. They toasted it, or they killed it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of concerning. I mean, we we watched, not only did we watch, no, he wanted we it. cheered on. He wanted it. A mascot. He had a sign that said, this is dying. my dream. Th- he wanted it. matter. He wanted it. I don't know. I'm a little concerned about that. No, I I do think that it it honestly like I I it makes you want to lean Jason Bean right now because it's the thing that most recently happened. Oh sure, yeah. Recently, if we fast forward, you know, two years from now, where it's been a couple of years since both guys have been out, or five years from now, ten years from now, whatever, it's gonna be Dave because as much as you think so fondly of Jason Bean, like think back to like yeah Bill Whittemore for instance. Bill Whittemore had an excellent career. At KU was here for two years. A good running and throwing quarterback. Got KU back to a bowl game with Mark Mangino. I don't think Bill Whittemore was as good as, as Jason Bean has been. But it's the it's the same type of idea. Bill Whittemore's thought of very fondly. Sure. But he doesn't... He's not one of the first guys that comes to mind. Whereas when you think of a guy who won a national championship, where like you said, he hits kind of the game-winning shot there, and then he hits the one to seal it after. I, I think that's going to have its own lore. And when... I, that would also be an interesting question. Because I, I think the answer right now would probably be neither. But if if you had to say one of those two players ends up in the Ring of Honor slash in the Rafters oh, Outfield House, who do you think yeah. has a better chance for it? I think it's I probably would lean Dave. Dave. Yeah, no, it's probably Dave. I think too, probably yeah. neither, but yeah, I would lean Dave. Yeah, on that scenario. Yeah. Uh, this one from Taylor. I saw Alabama and Michigan fans with pom poms, which got me wondering: should KU fans? Have yellow pom poms to simulate further waving the wheat. Mm, this is a, an interesting idea. You know, they did the game where they gave everyone the towels. Sure. Uh, earlier in the year at at uh, the booth. Uh, yeah, this is. I think in principle it sounds like a good idea. I wonder what it exactly would look like in practice because 
you know, with like, if you watch with like the Alabama fans, with the pom poms, they're look not forward. waving them. They're like, you know, they're like How would it look going the side air. to side? How would it look like? Yeah, I, I, was, I, I will say this real quick. Know. I've been to a game uh, where Alabama played in football, and it was in a, a it was at the Rose Bowl, uh, so it was a you know close knit environment. Um, very annoying when yeah, you can't even see the game. No, because literally it's the fans right in front of you. You have the pom poms, and because they're going back and forth, they're hitting you on the way back. <laughs> it's just like slapping you in the face with the pom pom. Very brutal. Very yeah. Brutal. So I think in principle, this sounds like an intriguing idea. Um, but I, I don't know. I like, I kind of, uh, the cinematic, you know, camera shots and whatnot videos of the, with the arms, it already looks cool enough as it is. I wonder if the pom-poms would just clutter it up and make it look maybe, you know, I'd be at least open know. to try. I'm definitely it. open to it. I do think the yellow, the yellow pom-poms actually got me thinking people would look like Jayhawks. You stick the pom-pom in front of your face and you have a yellow beak. And you wear, you know, if you're wearing crimson and blue, you have, you look like you look like a Jayhawk. That's that an interesting one. Uh, what if, what if you had to dress up as your team's mascot to be allowed into whatever sporting event you went to? That would be so much effort. So, like, you had to dress up as, a, and every person in the crowd was so, a okay. Jayhawk. So you just had to or wear. Like, you know, so, you okay, played. How extreme do you have to go with this idea? Because you could just wear a blue KU shirt and and yellow, you know, yellow shoes and red pants, and you're good. No, or do you have to have like a B? It's got to be the like thing? the official, like the the mascot one. No, but no, it that wouldn't work. Why? Because then, well, of course, this the wouldn't work. It's so a stupid big, hypothetical idea. But the mascot is so large that it would take up way more space. Well, in this hypothetical world, they, they expand the seating and everything. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, imagine if that was the case for like every team. They're like, you get free tickets. Everybody just has to show so up. You're like basically this. saying you, every you, what you want to like do that. is you want to take like which would be the weirdest in- team to play on the road against? Mm-hmm. Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons, the guy with like the top hat. I'm thinking K State. You think a the, bunch of people with wildcats? A bunch of people with regular human bodies and giant. Gray head, oh. or TCU's mascot maybe the Horn Frogs. No, I think that one's kind of happy, cheery. You think so? Yeah. Hmm. What's like the creepiest mascot out there? Western Kentucky, the Blob. I don't think there's creepy. Theirs is endearing, but yeah, that would be theirs would be funny. The Blob. You just see an ag- entire crowd of filled blobs. with blobs, <laughs> just red blobs, or like Syracuse, awesome. the orange, the orange, just a bunch of oranges around. <laughs> See, I'm actually. So you basically want to take. They should forget like doing a blackout. They should do like do a mascot out. Everybody dresses the mascot. You basically want to take the NCAA football 14 video game idea where you can play like the mascots on the field Uh and put them in the stadium. Like imagine the Pop Tarts Bowl. (laughs) The entire crowd is Pop Tarts, and you get to pick your favorite Pop Tart. I think this is actually a genius idea. I think we should. uh, It could be. I mean, uh, the the amount of material (laughs) effort required to create that many mascots. Yeah. I mean, KU has. How many? Let's, let's let me ask you, you this. You can pick your favorite. How many like physical suits, like Big J, Little J suits, do you think KU has right now? Ooh, like in commission? Yeah. Do they have like, is is it like five? Four. I'll say four. Four. Ooh, and one's being currently worked on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. So then you would need you need forty thousand. Get it done. Okay, this one from Ryan. You can add one All American to any sport slash position at KU for their next season. So it can't be in season. So you couldn't choose KU men's basketball for this year. You'd have to okay. choose them next year. Or when What do you is. choose? Yeah. Because, like, dude, why uh, not put Caitlin Clark on KU? Why not? Yeah, sure. Well. What? Would would Caitlin Clark fix? Are, are, you're saying put her on the KU men's team. Or the women's team. Either one. Okay. <laughs> well, we can't do that, right? Because they're in season. No, they're in season. So basically, we have to pick like football, 
volleyball. Well, you could pick basketball. It just has to be for next year. Oh, I see. I see. Well, no, because we wouldn't know who the All-Americans are from this year. Well, no, you just get to add one more. You see what I'm saying? But you have to pick somebody, right? No, this isn't like, I, I think it's just you add a All-American. It's just generic. Oh, this person oh. you were adding. I was is, reading it as you go and look at other All-Americans oh. and you pick an All-American from possible. a different team and add it to KU. I was just viewing it as like the generic way. Like, you, basically, you're just going to add one player. They're going to be an All-American. Oh, Okay. So you can be, okay. so you can okay. be like, he's a center. He's okay. a okay. defensive end. No, see, that, that's my brain. My brain was like, you have to pick an All-American, like mm-hmm. an actual All-American to take off of another team and put him on KU. But it's just generic. That's how I'm taking it. We could okay. do it that way, but I think that way So if you look harder. at the men's team for next season, mm-hmm. assuming Hunter Dickinson's back, you're already going to have one All-American. Would it be good to add an All-American wing? Just keep it going. Ochai, Jalen to good. Kevin to... Random to new all American, yeah. <laughs> fill in the blank all American wing. I mean, when you look at when you look at KU football for next season, I guess if I mean the thing is, is like we just discussed it with with what KU needs. I mean, you could add an all American pass rusher. I guess that sounds pretty cool. That'd be helpful. It improve again. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty cool. But like, I was trying to think: is there an argument to say like, well, why don't I add an all American like guard or tackle? On the offensive things side. up. I think there is an argument for that. Okay. What about adding an All-American linebacker? Mm, interesting. Stuffing the run. Yeah. Just giving your defense that extra little push. What if you were push? to add an All-American pitcher to KU baseball? I think that'd be fun. The problem, the, I think the, the issue you run into with the argument on there is like, if it's just one player and if it's a pitcher, yeah. then pitching you're only pitching. Week, exactly. You know? So you'd almost get better value from adding an All-American, like, mm-hmm. you know, first baseman or something. So I don't know. Maybe you wouldn't even get the best value from from pit from baseball at all mm-hmm. or softball. You know? I mean, then you, you go could to volleyball. Me all American, yeah. In, in all, volleyball, all I was going to say is like a right side or an outside hitter. Yeah, that would be up there because just, if you give, if you guarantee that all American and you have Cameron Turner and Caroline Vianne and some of the players they have, you know, coming in, yeah. it's going to be a pretty special team. That, that you give you give new soccer coach Nate Lee uh, an all American American striker or something. Yeah, yeah a, lot score a bunch of goals. Maybe yeah. goalie to you know get shot out. There's some good options. Okay, I think I would go with. Uh, I'd be interested in adding the linebacker. Well, what about a defensive Jamie, tackle? No, no, you can't add, because you got Jamie Brown. That's true. He's, he's going to be an All American anyway. Where, see, this is where. <laughs> see, this is where I was thinking of like you add an actual player. Okay. So, like, imagine if we could take Devondre Sweat from Texas and <laughs> drop him onto KU. I was just going to say, I think actually that's where I would settle: defensive tackle. Or like, or like, we saw Jerzon Newton play against KU. What if you just dropped him onto KU? That'd be perfect because you need pass rush and you need defensive tackles. Why not knock them both out? You know, (laughs) and I don't think one of those guys is sitting in the portal where if you're able to bring out a defensive tackle at this point, it's probably going to be like one of the two. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's going to be a solid player. Yeah, it's not going to be an All American. Yeah, I mean, it it could be. I would say best case is you get like another Devin Phillips, basically. Sure, probably, which is a good player, but it's not All American. So, yeah, I, I think I would add a defense tackle because that would have a big impact on stopping the run. It would help you a little bit with your pass rush. It would help probably give you more single coverages for your defensive ends to help them out, even without Austin Booker. I would go D-tackle. What would you do? Okay. You could also convince me All-American center, though, in KU Women's Basketball. Yeah. Pair that with Samaya Nichols because you're yeah. going to be losing Tyana Jackson at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with... Uh... There is something fun about having like a, an elite linebacker, though, you know. <laughs> but again, they might have that in JB rounds. So. Um, give me, give me an All American forward Kicker. for uh, for K Women's Soccer. Get the get get the program started off the right way with Nate Lee. Okay. Yeah. 
This one from Ben. You can add 5% to anyone's rate of anything on KU basketball the rest of the way. For instance, offensive rebound rate, steal rate, three-point percentage, etc. Okay. Who slash what do you choose? Well, I think if you're looking for just straight value, to me, the only logical answer here is three-point percentage, right? If you're just looking for pure value. I mean, I guess maybe you could convince me of, like, offensive rebound percentage maybe, but... I think three-point percentage has got to be what you're looking at, right? I mean... I guess maybe... I mean, I guess if you just want to say field goal percentage in general, right? Sure. I. The question becomes a little bit flawed because with block rate and steal rate... Okay, for instance. Like, steal rate's like... Isn't it like 3%? Dewan Harris is at 2.3. Yeah. So... If you give him 8% steal rate, he <laughs> automatically becomes <laughs> the greatest of all, all time. time. Right? So, like, that has to be the choice from that standpoint. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to pick that one because that becomes a bit of low-hanging fruit um, at that point. I wonder, what was uh, Jeff Withy's block rate? I'm going to go back and look at this. Jeff Withy had a, this was in the 2012 season that they went to the title game. He had a 15.3% block rate. That was first in the entire country. So if again, you, you had 5% of that, 20%. Well, to him. But I, I know. If, if you add 5% to Hunter Dickinson, who's at 4.7, he becomes 9.7. That would be very interesting. That would certainly make the defense even more elite would it not yes yes but let me give you some better let me give you some some candidates on for three-point percentage okay johnny furphy's at 36 percent from three right now five percent to 41 percent sheesh but he, see what about dewan harris he's already at 50 percent right now 55 percent from three be nice it's just uh, here's here's why i'm i don't know maybe I, I guess over the end of the season like it would matter but like what is kevin that the McCuller. difference between one extra made three kevin mccullough the first 13 games kevin mccullough 38 percent shoot him up to 43 up to 43 so right now kevin is 20 of 53 from three let's see if he was 21 of 53 so if he made one more three okay i guess that'd be 39 percent 22 we're talking about like five threes here 20, if he made three more threes, it'd be up to about 43%. But is that is that worth it enough to you? Over the course of the whole season, Over definitely could be. Over 13 games to make three extra if he's threes. a knockdown shooter. No, but it's not just, it's 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 beyond that. It's the fact that then, I, I would think, if you increase him, that means when he's wide open, he's going to hit. Okay. Right? Maybe. Hmm. I mean, if you just want to go to field goal percentage... Well, see, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, I just think that's where the best value is. You want to get your bang for your buck. That's what I'm saying. I think the most value is. that's why I think there's less value on the threes, because you take less of them. So, theoretically, a five-point percentage difference on threes is only going to be a few plays But if it becomes to where you're a knockdown every time you're wide open, is that not valuable? I see what you're saying, but it doesn't matter whether he's open or not. He's just making three more threes. I think this has more value if you give it to somebody who's taking a ton of two-point shots. Which this could either go to Kevin McCuller or Hunter Dickinson. What okay. if I said Hunter Dickinson is it's taking so many twos? He's at sixty percent right now. If you add five percent to that, so he's up it's to not just about that efficiency going up. It's about that the thing you do most, which is Hunter Dickinson shooting twos, is now more efficient. Wouldn't you want the thing you do most to maximize efficiency? I think that's what I would choose. I, I guess. I don't know, man. I'm really tempted by Johnny Furphy here. At 36% three, make it 41%. Okay. I mean, that solves your problem. That solves your Nick Timberlake problem. 
If he's 41%, that's obviously Nick Timberlake. What about Omarco Jackson going up 5% on threes where he becomes... He's See, what? here's the issue there. Yeah. I expect him to go up already as it is. Okay. So, well, again, we're back to the value discussion. Because Elmarco Jackson right now is at just under 30% from three. I would expect that number to go up a little bit anyways. So, if I'm thinking, like, is do we think Furphy's going to shoot higher than 36% by the end of the season? Mm. I don't know. Maybe not. That's why you give him the extra 5%. Because if you, if you give it to, like, El Marco, but he's already going to be shooting 2 or 3% better over the course of the whole season anyways, your 5% increase is not a 5% increase. It's a 2% increase. Yeah, 3%. I'm, I'm definitely giving it to Hunter Dickinson. It's either going to block rate, which, again, would put him around 10%, which is what Yudoka Azubuki was at his final season at KU. That is pretty good, though. If you have Yudoka Azubuki's block rate <laughs> with Hunter Dickinson's <laughs> offense and rebounding, I mean, or I'm good. giving it to his 2.0%. No, that's, that's pretty that's good. what I'm doing with it. Okay, this last one from Sean. If the cost of KU winning a game in any sport was you gained one pound, what would you do? Well, this is an unfortunate question from Sean because I'm a pretty light guy, as it is. Mm-hmm. She has some <laughs> so, poundage to get. So so one pound to gain for me is really not that big of a deal. Well, theoretically, you can lose the pound. He's not saying you have to like keep it like. Okay, so like, let's say... I want KU basketball to win 35 games. Yeah, you're I gain 35, 35 pounds, pounds, but then I just over the work over that, the offseason, yeah. and I lose it all back, and then I just do it again the next season. Very unhealthy, but yes. <laughs> I don't. Well, who know. says the pound has to be fat? What if I'm just bulking up? I'm just mm-hmm. gaining pounds of muscle. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty small guy. So for me, the, the question's pretty easy. I feel like I could stand to gain a lot of pounds. I don't know. I mean, this wouldn't really be worth it to me. I, I mean, well, you're I'll someone of larger stature, so yeah. it affects you a little bit more. I don't really want to... That doesn't sound fun to me that I have to, like... Because, like, 35 pounds for me gets me close to, like, 200. And at that point, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's not worth it. Not worth it at all. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for okay, reference, I weigh, like, basically around 150. Not, uh, a very, not a very big person. Yeah, so you, you have something to give. Uh, all right, well, thank you to submitting questions. You can hit us up with questions for next week at RCST1320 on Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Let's head into the transfer portal. Coming up next on KLWN, depending on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We're going to be joined by Ted Owens coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk to the 1974 KU basketball team and some KU basketball history, Fog Allen, JoJo White, plenty others. So, uh, Stick around for that. Also, in our next segment, we're going to be giving away a pair of Kansas TCU basketball tickets for Saturday's game. So stick around for that. Before we do any of that, though, let's go into the transfer portal. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses. And it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. All right. Well, uh, obviously that transfer portal bit has been mainly used for basketball, as you can tell by the many references there. But we still want to use it here for football because I think it still applies. Uh, I want to go into the transfer portal because there's some uh, stuff going on. Obviously, we talked earlier in the show about you know KU. They've lost some players. They brought in some players: Sean Hanica, Dylan Woodkey, and uh, also you know uh, able to bring in Devin Dye, the uh, brother of Jalen Dye. Um, 
Seems like there's some action kind of picking up here. I, I think the uh, there's a yeah. dead period coming up in about a little over a week. Yeah, so I means... think you have like I think you have until the seventh basically to get visits in, visits. and then there's a dead period coming up after that. Yeah, it's like twelfth or thirteenth or something like that when basically you would be able to stop recruiting. So I mean, theoretically, if you're talking about getting players in for the the semester and having them be able to play football for you in the spring, you got to tie some of this stuff up. Yeah. Rather quickly, which means yeah. could be hearing a lot of decisions coming up here in uh, the coming days. Yeah. So Javier Derrett is one that certainly uh, seems to be keeping an eye with KU. Sounds like he just wrapped up a visit with KU football uh, yesterday. And Derrett is a defensive tackle from North Dakota State, six foot two, two hundred and eighty pounds. Was a consistent player for a while with North Dakota State. He'll be a sixth year player. He's originally from. Missouri, Warrensburg, Missouri, went to St. Thomas Aquinas High School, which is obviously in Kansas. So you'd think that he has some local ties here. Now, I know he has some like other visits and other schools interesting uh, in him, including USC, where the North Dakota State head coach has now gone as the linebackers coach. So you wonder if that tie kind of helps him in any way. But we, we've been talking about the KU needs to add a defensive tackle. You lose Gage Keys. Yeah. You lose Devin Phillips to graduation. You know, I, I feel good that Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers will progress again because it seems like they've continually gotten better in their KU career, and that'll continue to happen. And I thought Caleb Taylor had some nice moments this year. I thought Keenan Caldwell had a few nice moments this year. But you certainly need more on the interior of that defensive line, and uh, Javier Darrett, I think, kind of represents that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, you mentioned Dylan Woodkey, a guy who was already in the fold at the defensive end position, but... Considering the situation on the D-line for KU, I mean, you probably want to add at least one more, maybe two or three more guys on the D-line, you know, to, to get yourself some good rotation. I mean, Brian Borland has, has been known that he likes to use a lot of rotation guys and get a lot of bodies in there, keep guys fresh, you know, keep 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 things moving. And so if you're KU, I think you definitely want to have quite a bit of depth in that position. So, yeah, I mean, Javier Derrett's kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's a couple other guys that I think KU is, is, is definitely – interested in on the D-line that they that they want to try to lock down and try to add the, to, to the depth in that room. And, and again, this shouldn't be shocking. You know, KU's been very aggressive on and when they've needed certain positions, and they definitely need a position here on the D-line. And so uh, it's not surprising at all that, that, that they are going out and trying to get kids on campus, get guys in, and, and kind of sell them being a part of a program that is shooting for the stars, yeah. going for the Big 12 title. Yeah, there was the Ontario Thompson kid that that one seems to have kind of subsided a little bit. I, I don't know if it's a grades thing or something else, but there was a, it seemed like initial interest, and, and that one's kind of fallen off. So currently yeah. still looking at uh, some defensive tackles out there. But I think one thing, and, and we didn't really talk about this much in the open when we were talking about what positions KU could be looking for. I think one thing that maybe makes it a little bit harder on KU this year is – and this isn't the case with every player transferring. Some players are transferring because they want more playing time. Some players are transferring because they want to go from a lower level to a higher level, whether that's group of five or FCS or D2 to you know Division One. And then there's some people who are transferring just for an NIL payday. Some players are transferring for a combination of all three or a combination of two of three or something, right? Yeah, but uh, certainly like NIL, coach, right? Yeah. NIL is a fact. Of course, yeah. I, I should probably say, like, uh, coach getting fired or they didn't like their position coach is probably another reason to transfer, right? So it could be a combination of any of those handful of things. But, yes, you're right. NIL seems to be a pretty huge factor in a lot of this. And from the Kansas perspective, it certainly seems like, uh, without, I guess, fully having a real answer on this, 
that Kansas is using more of their resources and money to retain players, which I, I think a lot of people are probably fine with, and I think yeah. is the right call because you have yeah. really good players in tow. You know, what's better than bringing on a, a good transfer portal pickup from somewhere else? Well, just getting Kobe Bryant to come back for another year. Yeah. What's better than uh, picking up a, a transfer portal receiver? I don't know, just getting L.J. Arnold back for another year. You know, yeah. well, I know the system, about, they're good players. Exactly, that's what I was going to say, is think about how KU likes to operate. They have a very specific system, a very specific process. And we kind of saw when Lance Leipold first arrived at this KU program, you know, it wasn't sunshine and rainbows from game one, right? It took some time. It took some development. It took some implementation of the system. It took some development of players that they had. It took some time to implement what they want to do on offense. Remember, Andy Kolnicki and Brian Borland had both said, you know, hey, the first year we were here, we really were just trying to figure out what the heck we could even run, Mm -hmm. right? It, It wasn't even really, they weren't even able to really to do what they really wanted to do. And so, exactly, to your point, what is it better to go out and get a guy that is maybe was proven a talent in another place or something like that and bring him in, or is it better to have a guy that you've developed up through your program that you've seen get better and better that you can then have him come back? So I, I 100% agree. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely for the retention aspect of this because, again, you get guys like Kobe Bryant. You get guys like Melo Dotson, right? Guys that have come up in your program that understand the system, that are proven leaders, and you don't. there's no question marks, right? When you go into the transfer portal – there are hardly any guarantees, right? You know, there are talented players. There are guys that, you know, maybe had excelled at previous stops and whatnot, but it's not a guarantee. What is a guarantee is knowing the guy you have in the building already and know, and him knowing what you want to do and what your process is and how you want to execute that and how you want to go out and scheme and things like that. So retention, I'm, a, I, I'm 100% on board with that. Yeah, no, I think it's the right call. Uh, now, in an ideal world, you would have enough that you'd be able to do both, right? Um, but there are limited resources, right? This isn't just an unlimited well that you can be like, oh, we have, you know, $100 million every year to spend and, and do this or that. You know, some of these SEC schools seemingly have an unlimited well. I don't know if that bubble is going to pop eventually. You know, if, if it's just, hey, we've made some big donations from some donors right now, is that going to happen every year? Uh, is that going to be something that continues year to year? I do think KU has a good NIL setup. I think basketball, I don't know, maybe they have the best uh, for basketball in the country. Football, I still think they have a good setup, but it feels like in football, like the gap between maybe the top 10, 15, or I don't know, 20 NIL setups for football in the country to maybe then the next 15 or 20 is such a big gap. So KU could have, you know, a top 30, top 40, top 25 setup and even football for NIL, but it's just some of these SEC schools and some of these schools, it's it's just, you know, a whole different level of, of things that are kind of happening. So you do have to kind of play a little bit of management there with, with how you can go about it. And, um, I think that makes it challenging for the coaching staff, but I, I think they're maneuvering it very well, and I think that's kind of the right way to go about it in another way. But I also think this, that, like, think about it. From a standpoint of donations, there's a limited amount of how much is going to get donated to you each each year. And obviously, there are going to be times when people are able to donate more based on what's happening with their work or their life. There are going to be times where... Uh, somebody at KU does a really good job of convincing someone to donate more money. There's going to be years where, you know, the donations fluctuate year in and year out. Sure. But I'd have to imagine with the stadium being priority kind of number one right now for KU. And it has to be. Right. And and I don't know how the the workings of all this go. Um, I, I do believe those are separate. Like, I don't think, like, if you donate specifically to KU's, KU's NIL, to Mass Street NIL, like KU's NIL, uh, 
I'm trying to think of collective. the word. Collective, thank you. I was going to say conglomerate, and that was clearly not right. Thank you. Uh, I do like conglomerate, though. Yeah, it's a cool word. Anyway, uh, if you donate to KU's Mastery NIL Collective, then it doesn't. that money doesn't partially get used for the stadium. Yeah. There are different places you donate them, but if you are somebody who is donating... Obviously, your money's going to be stretched then. Right, exactly. You, you might be like, no, I want to get the stadium done here. I was going to plan on giving, whatever, a million dollars this year. I'm going to give it all to the stadium, right? And so... I, I do think that KU will be in a better spot once the stadium does get built and finished and everything, that a lot of those donations that are kind of coming in for that will then maybe, you know, get, I don't know, in some way, maybe some people start saying, okay, that's done. Now I'm going to start donating to this to have that. I, I do think that's something to keep an eye on. But uh, I guess point being that to, to circle back around to all this, don't necessarily expect Kansas to be bringing in the top of the top recruits and transfers for that reason, because most of those guys do want NIL money. You're more so going after the guys who are mostly leaving because there was a coach changer, because they want to move up in football, or because they want to, um, you know, get more playing time or whatever it is. Yeah. You can't bring in the guys who, well, are all Americans coming in. And I almost wonder if you know, based off Lance Leipold's personality and kind of how he's built Kansas and kind of what you know his his track record is. I almost wonder if maybe. If a player comes in and says, hey, I want X amount of dollars in NIL, I wonder if, if that's kind of a turnoff for Lance Leipold and for KU to say, hey, you know, listen, we're, we're, we're going to take care of you once you get here, but sure. this is not about this is not about money. Yeah. This is about like, going will, out and winning. We will take care of you. We will get you your NIL money. But, yeah, you're right. That's the secondary part of it. You come yeah. here and you earn that money. Yeah, and if, I there are, with you. if there are guys that, you know, are saying, I'm in the transfer portal, mm-hmm. I, I'm only going if I get X, this X amount, I wonder if, if KU says, you know what, we're going to find another guy who maybe who maybe wants to, to earn that and, and wants to go a different way. Well, it makes sense to me. If, if I was the coach, I would operate that way. Because think about it. If that is your first, yeah, if, if that is the thing that is concern. most important to you, then in a world where now you can just transfer willy-nilly without having to sit out at all, like you, you can transfer as many times as you want. Yeah, and all of a sudden Lance Leipold says, hey, you're in a competition with three other guys at this position. The guy's like, then wait a second. If that's your first priority, you're probably going somewhere else as soon as that happens. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's the right way. Agreed. Anyway, uh, Seth McLaughlin, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. He's the Alabama center, entered the transfer portal. Turns out Kansas is offered. Yeah. We, I mean, we well, said I mean, this yesterday. It, it makes I sense. Mean, in this era of the transfer portal, just offer everybody. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, why well, not? Wasn't that like West Virginia basketball? <laughs> Especially just like yeah. everybody just, just getting an offer. Everybody from, in the portal, you get an Arkansas. offer. Arkansas. Arkansas basketball does that. Yes. Yeah. The stupid must bust. Of it. Stupid. <laughs> Must bust. Nope. Drives off a cliff. Wow. Um, no, but <laughs> Seth McLaughlin, I, I saw some KU fans being like, you know, on social media, like, oh, we won't, we don't want this guy. Like he, you know, he had some bad snaps in in the the Rose Bowl and the, in the playoff game and stuff. Guys, Eric, what team did out did, did uh, Seth McLaughlin play for? Alabama. Hey, it, how many national championships has Alabama won in the last twelve years? I know this is the first time that Nick Saban has gone at least three years without winning a national title. They've won a lot. They've won a lot. They're really good. This guy was a starter for two years at, at like Alabama. one of the two or three premier football programs in the entire country. Maybe I mean, the number one. Lord, what are we doing? Yeah, what are we doing? You trust Scott Fuchs to figure out the snapping issue yeah. or you move him to guard or Jeez. you just roll with it because, again, he was a starter at Alabama for like two and a half years. Yes. So I, I don't know if he'll actually end up picking KU. I saw he's like visiting or Ohio offered State. by Ohio, yeah, State, Ohio State, right? Yeah. So it seems unlikely, but, you know. Hey, in 2024, shoot your shot. Yeah, Shoot your it. shot. Well, apparently he was like receiving death threats from Alabama, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, that, don't, don't do that, that happens. Yeah, don't but do this that. goes back to uh, well, something we talked about yesterday. You want to go somewhere where you can lay low a little bit after that? 
but will still be a really good team, top 25 team? Yeah. Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas, baby. All right. Um, I, I guess there's also some rumors about uh, some Duke defensive end visiting KU, so we'll keep an eye on that one too. But, uh, yeah, obviously KU's looking at defensive linemen, looking at linebackers, looking at offensive line. All that stuff uh, certainly makes sense. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Coming up on the other side, let's get to a KU basketball ticket giveaway for a pair of tickets to the KU-TCU game coming up on Saturday. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined by a very special guest now. That would be one Ted Owens, one of the, well, I guess it's it's a short list of uh, all-time KU basketball coaches, and Ted Owens is a part of that list. I appreciate you uh, for hopping on the show today, and uh, on Saturday, KU is going to be celebrating the 50th year anniversary of the 1974 Final Four team that you were the coach on. I, I guess take me through it because, you know, may- maybe for younger fans, they-, they don't know what that 1974 team accomplished. What what does that team mean to you, and, and what does it mean to the program? I-, I guess just overall, what was kind of the team like that uh, ended up making the Final Four that year? Well, the previous year, <clears throat> we had had the misfortune of, uh, we lost uh, three of our front line uh, players a year or so before then, and uh, uh, through health and through personal reasons and uh, whatever. So we were a little shorthanded uh, and had to rebuild. And so in 1972 73, the previous year, uh, we'd had. Uh, a very difficult year. We'd lost nearly every close game we played and uh, had a record of 8-18. Eight and 18. And the very next year, uh, we turned it around. In fact, it's, I think at that time, it was the greatest turnaround in NCAA tournament history. We went from a losing season, 8-18, eight and 18, uh, to the Final Four. Uh, so it was uh, it was a remarkable year and uh and uh the um the regional tournament i live here in tulsa and the regional tournament victory uh that sent us to the final four was one of the great games uh, in fact uh here in tulsa it's regarded as the greatest game ever played in tulsa in which we came from behind and beat oral roberts uh and in overtime to uh, go to the final four. Yeah, overtime win. It was I think ninety three ninety. So I mean, high scoring game, and 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 that was kind of the the case of that tournament run. Obviously, the the tournament was uh, a little smaller than it is now. But your first round game against Creighton too. That was a one point game, and then you beat Oral Roberts in that second game to go to the final four. Uh, was that just kind of how things were that season? That you know, it, it was just close games. It was finding a way to kind of win at the end. You know, we uh, we had some early in the season. We defeated Kentucky at home, and so gave our guys encouragement that uh, that we could be pretty good. Uh, but we lost uh, we lost two or three tough games. Um, uh, uh, lost to uh, Notre Dame. Lost to uh, Indiana and some very very good uh, teams. Uh, but. We turned it around. We lost in the first round of the Big Eight tournament, uh, but we came back and won a couple of games in the 
tournament and beat a very good Oklahoma team with, that uh, had Alvin Adams as their star. And then once we hit the conference, we really took off. We only lost one conference game, and that was at Kansas State. And then we beat Kansas State at home to clinch the championship. Uh, and uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable year. Yeah, that's for sure. I think I was looking at it five and three start. Uh, you guys were ranked 13th in the preseason poll in the AP, but you were unranked in the coaches poll, which at the time only went to 20. Uh, after that five and three start, you know, not ranked in one of the polls before the season started. Did you think before the season started that you guys would have a chance to be as good as you ended up being and, and making it to the final four? Uh well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that we thought we'd go to the Final Four, but we thought we'd be much improved. Uh, we returned nearly all of our players from the previous year and then added some good young players. Uh, Roger Morningstar came in uh, uh, out of the junior college, and Norm Cook, Donnie Von Moore, and uh, some really good freshmen. So we knew that we would be much better. And... Uh, uh, but once we got to the conference, we won it. We came from behind. We were nine or ten down to Oklahoma State at home early in the conference season, and we came from behind and and uh, won a terrific comeback. Uh, hit a Tommy Smith hit a basket uh, to win the ball game, and and that really gave us confidence that uh, that we could be a good team. And as I said, we did not. We only lost one game at Manhattan uh, during the conference season, so it was a terrific uh, conference season. Yeah, I think after the five and three start, eighteen and two, like you said, just the one conference loss. The only other loss was Notre Dame, who was ranked number one at the time, and then obviously made it to the final four. Uh, five different players averaged double-digit points per game for you guys that year: Danny Knight, Roger Morningstar, Dale Greenley, Norm Cook, and Rick Suttle. You don't really see that very often where you have five guys average double-digit points per game. Uh, what did that kind of say about your team and, and how everybody kind of played together and, and was comfortable you know, having that many players who were, uh, I guess, willing to sacrifice and, and let the other guy score as opposed to you know, maybe having one guy who was averaging like 20 points per game? Well, I, I think one of the great things we had, we had a great captain. Uh, Tom Cavisto was a great leader. And in one game that year set a, a, a record, uh, and I'm not sure where the record still stands or not, but had, I believe had 17 assists in the game to give you an indication of the kind of team player that he was. But uh, he sort of set the example for the rest of the, of the team, sharing the basketball. And, and um, we had uh, uh, two of our very best players, came off the bench. Uh, they were known as the super subs, and that was Rick Suttle and Tommy Smith. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they were uh, they were about as good as our, our starters. And we had great balance, as you could uh, tell from the, the five players being in double figures. Yeah, you had uh, two Final Four teams uh, as a head coach. That 74 team was was one of them. The 71 team was the other one. Uh, do you ever think about, you know, what was that? I don't know, maybe it was even another team that, that ended up, uh, you know, falling in like the Elite Eight or Sweet 16 or something. What would you say was the best team that you ever coached in your time at Kansas? 
Well, it's uh, a little difficult to say. We actually had some uh, teams that were about as good as our 71 and 74 team. Our 1966 team, uh, when JoJo hit a shot that would have sent us to the Final Four, and they disallowed it, uh, that was a great, great uh, team in 66. 67 came back, and uh, and uh, we lost in the original tournament to Houston, uh, Elvin Hayes, uh, Don Chaney team. And then uh, the 78 team was, was, uh, had a real crack at, uh, at going a long way. So there, we, had, uh, we had quite a number of teams that were right there uh, with the, uh, as far as quality with the 71, 74. Yeah, and that uh, 1965 to 66 team that, that, as you mentioned, JoJo has the, the shot that wasn't counted off. Um, I, I guess that, that one goes down in lore of uh, what they said he was out of bounds, and obviously, you know, it turns into a movie with Glory Road and everything that Texas Western accomplished. But uh, from your vantage point, can you take me through what happened on that play with JoJo White? Uh, I, I believe that would have been the shot that, that what won the game in, in either regulation or the first overtime. and. Uh, then you guys would have moved on from there. What what exactly was the full story there about what happened with uh, JoJo and, and the shot against Texas Western? Well, it was in regulation play, and uh, Al Lopes uh, uh, caused the uh, Texas Western player to charge, and so we got possession of the ball with the score tied uh, with seven seconds to go and had the ball about midcourt. And we get the ball into JoJo, and we were just going to have JoJo take it, penetrate as deep as he can, and if they double-teamed him, we'll step one of our players in the open spot for the shot. And the Texas Texas Western guards were very quick, very active, and they pushed JoJo to his left, toward the sideline, and he pivoted with uh, time running out on the clock and nailed it. We jump up on the court. We're on our way to the final four, and the official comes in late and says that he stepped out of bounds. Uh, the Today, with all the camera angles that you have uh, in the ball games. It would be easy to determine whether he was really in or out, um, but the sequence of shots shows that that he pivoted and his heel came up uh, over the plane, but we but didn't touch the sideline. We don't think he was ever out of bounds. Um, and the official came in late, and it looks like the official was looking at the basket rather than the sideline, and when JoJo shot, he drifted out of bounds after he shot the ball. Uh, and I think the officials saw that he landed out of bounds and and made the call of, uh, accordingly. Uh, uh, so um, anyway, it uh, it was a tough one to lose. We uh, We thought we had a great chance to win the national championship. And uh, that 
that cost us an opportunity. Yeah, one of the great what-ifs in, uh, I think, college and, and KU basketball history, that's for sure. Um, what does it mean to you specifically with, you know, the, KU obviously is a program uh, does not have a lot of head coaches. It's it's basically nine head coaches, essentially ten if if you count one of the uh, the interim uh, guys that was in there. So, I mean, to be on a short list of basically one of nine head coaches all time at a university like Kansas uh, where the game got started with basketball, what does that mean to you individually? Well, it's a great honor. And um, there are some wonderful men who have uh, – uh, who have coached there and and to be included in that list uh, uh, as I say I, I, I feel a great honor and a great privilege uh, uh, the um, the tradition is uh, is unbelievable and Allen Fieldhouse is uh, as Jay Billis called it the St. Andrews of college basketball and certainly I'm uh, very proud to have been a part of that did you ever think back and if you could put together maybe a starting five or, I don't know, think to the best player you ever got to coach uh, in your time at Kansas, who would be some players that, that maybe would, would come to mind? I, I never tried to pick an, an all-team. Uh, I, uh, I it's like picking your own and, kids, right? <laughs> I, I loved and respected all the guys who played and, and – uh, uh, we we had uh, a lot of great players. Doctor Allen uh, had the best answer to that. They, uh, doctor, they asked Doctor Allen, "Who was your greatest team? Who were your greatest players?" And Doctor Allen would always say, "Let's wait twenty five years and see what they've done with their life, and I'll tell you who our greatest players were." Yeah, and uh, certainly both you guys got to coach a, a lot of good ones in there. Um, Getting to know Fog Allen, I, I guess obviously, you know, I I haven't had the opportunity to do so. It's kind of a bridge to that. What was he like as a man? What was he like as a head coach? Well, Doctor Allen uh, uh, continued to come to our games, and, and in fact, at the end of the season, we named our most valuable player award in, in, in Doctor Allen's name, and so. Uh, it, Dr. Allen would come, he sat on the front row in the balcony, and when he walked in, it was almost as if we thought, well, it's time for the game to start. Dr. Allen's here. <laughs> and uh, he has uh, uh, had more bright sayings that uh, we still repeat today. Uh he would say such things as pause for poise. And he would say a dribble moves one player, but a pass moves all five players. I, so over the years, I've, uh, I, I haven't plagiarized him because I didn't give Dr. Allen credit, but, uh, uh, but I've used his saying many, many times. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. We're talking with Ted Owens here for a little bit longer on uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, how, how often do you get to uh, watch KU basketball now and, and kind of keep up with, with uh, the lay of the land currently going on in Lawrence? Well, with uh, you know, when I coached, uh, you might be on television three times 
during the conference season. That was the maximum you could be on. <laughs> and now you can catch every game. And and so it makes that trip to Lawrence a, a little more difficult. Uh, and I'm 94 now, and, and uh, so I don't get up as often as I can, but, I'm, uh, but I, I see them on television all the time. And uh, so I guess this next question I have, like, is there a player, whether it's somebody currently on the team or who's played, I guess, recently that you would have loved to coach, that, that you watch their game and, and you love what they provide and, and you would have loved to, to have a chance to, to coach them as well? Well, there, there are a lot of them. Uh, uh, coaches had a good run of players. He's had uh, some some of the young men who come in as the best players in the country when they come there, but he's had a lot that he has developed. Uh, uh, Coach Self has developed uh, some players who were not well recruited, and they've become outstanding. In fact, they've become uh, one, of the, one of the best players in uh, the country. Uh, he, uh, he wants complete players. He develops complete players. And uh, uh, goodness knows his record uh, indicates uh, just how effective he is. Yeah, I've, I've always wondered if, you know, a guy like Dewan Harris, the current point guard with the way that he kind of orchestrates the game, there is a bit of throwback there. If, if that would be someone that – you know, would currently stick out and, and be somebody who uh, you'd love to kind of coach there as well. You you bet. Uh, and he's had a couple of other guards who uh, yeah, Frank few years Mason, ago, Devontae Graham, Devon Dotson. You, you bet. We're not highly recruited, and uh, his uh, his teams get better. And those young men who stay in his program for several years certainly come out better prepared uh, to uh, make a livelihood in basketball. Well, Coach Owens, I, I appreciate the time and hopping on here. Safe travels to Lawrence. Enjoy and congratulations again, the uh, 50th year anniversary for the 1974 Final Four team. Thank you, Derek. We're excited about being there and, and uh, seeing all the guys. Uh, they were a wonderful group of uh, players and and they've uh, had wonderful live and productive lives and i'm uh, i'm honored to be a part of it. that was coach ted owens for the ku basketball team again they're going to be honoring the 1974 uh final four team for ku basketball uh during the game of ku tcu that was a team that, like we talked about, started five and three, maybe lower expectations, and then they just went off the rest of the season. And uh, I mean, think about some of the the all time great Elite Eight games at Kansas, whether it was uh, what the KU Duke game in 2018 or KU Arkansas, KU Indiana in the 1990s, that KU Oral Roberts game that went to double overtime, both teams scoring in in the 90s. Uh, that's got to be up there as well when when you're looking back at it for that uh, 1974 season. So thank you to Coach Owens for hopping on the show, and uh, you'll be able to see him on Allen Fieldhouse if you're there for the game for KUTCU on Saturday, which you can hear right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app, depending on it. 
Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.